Hey there, creatives. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am really excited to bring this next series um, to the show. It's going to be a special series dedicated to speaking with different uh, people, different therapists uh, involved in the Expressive Therapy Summit. If you've never heard of the Expressive Therapy Summit, it is an intermodal um, international conference uh, that really is dedicated to experiential learning and um, brings together all of the different disciplines in the world of therapy. There are social workers, there's art therapists, dance therapists, music therapists, play therapists, any kind of therapist really imaginable, and everybody sharing their experiential knowledge and hands-on learning um, activities. And it's a really wonderful event. And usually it's four days um, in the fall in New York City. And there is an LA component, which happens in the spring. Um, in this fall, I am interviewing probably, I would say eight to 10 people um, that are either directly involved in the summit or are going to be presenting on their uh, topic of um, expertise. And um, we'll be learning about their clinical practices um, and what they'll be teaching at the event. And so you'll get kind of a snapshot and hopefully in each conversation that we have, um, the, the key takeaways will relate to the work of creating something out of nothing, which is kind of the object of um, bringing your practice to life or creating that therapeutic tool, writing a book, whatever it is that as a therapist you're passionate about and want to bring to life. And that's really the focus of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast show. Um, in the first episode, I am interviewing Barry Cohen, who is the summit leader. And um, Barry's also an art therapist and a former art therapy educator. He also is the creator of the Diagnostic Drawing Series, which is uh, an art therapy assessment tool. Um, and in our conversation, we'll be talking about how the summit came to be. And you'll also hear a little bit about um, some of the roles that I've played um, over the years because I've been involved in the summit um, since the beginning. And it's something that I'm really passionate about and love. And I think part of being involved in the summit really allowed me to move in the direction that I'm in currently. I don't know if I would be here um, at this point without having participated in the summit and developing it and bringing it to life, sharing it with other people. I was very involved as the social media marketing person uh, for the event for many, many years until um, Laura Bader took over that a couple of years ago for me because I just got too busy with my practice. 
but I'm hoping that you're going to really enjoy the conversations uh, that we have. And um, so, yeah, so this is going to be the Voices from the Expressive Therapy Summit special series. Let us know what you think. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. Today, my guest is Dan Walsh. Dan is a board-certified music therapist, a licensed creative arts therapist. He works with adults and adolescents at an inpatient behavioral health hospital as part of an interdisciplinary treatment team within Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, New York. During the height of COVID-19 in New York City, he also provided music therapy interventions to frontline workers. Dan has worked at several community centers in the New York York City area, providing music therapy groups, supporting self-expression and socialization. He's also worked with incarcerated youth residing in a limited secure placement facility. Dan completed his training at Malloy College and considers his journey of becoming a music therapist a part of his evolution as a professional musician. As a music therapist, he is able to implement his experience as a performer, producer, and educator in order to meet the diverse needs of his clients. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that we're going to talk about is um, kind of how you transitioned from a professional musician into the world of music therapy. Um, I've known you for quite some time and know that you worked for a very long time uh, as a musician before you became a music therapist. What was, what what made that, uh, what was so appealing about the music therapy piece that you decided to go back to school for that? Uh, well, I mean, thinking back on it, I think it was the first uh, expressive therapy summit that I had attended. Uh, so my wife had volunteered uh, a day to work there and I ended up taking on the, uh, taking the classes that she uh, got in exchange for volunteering. And I did a day long uh, class uh, that was about music therapy with children with autism. Mm. And at the time, I was working as a special education paraprofessional as well as a musician. Uh, and it just, you know, I was just hooked. You know, I just saw how music could uh, heal people and, and, you know, how beneficial it was to the kids with, with special needs. Um, and that there was a particular professor there, John Carpente, who works at Malloy College, uh, who I later ended up studying music therapy with. And 
just his, his approach is just really fascinating. Like the fact that it was just very client centered. It was very music centered. You know, uh, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't any talk therapy, so to speak. It was just all, all about the music and the music interaction and, you know, just his ability to, you know, meet the clients where they're at and to, and to work with, uh, the behaviors and the client's perspective and the, and the client's sense of self and how, how that had a potential to evolve with the use of music. It was just fascinating. So mm. I was <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it took me a few years though to decide to go back to school. Uh, so, so I attended a few more conferences and, and, you know, attended a presentation here and there, uh, but it took me like another two or three years to really decide to go back to school. Wow. And how long had you been a musician at that point in your life? Uh, well, that's a good question. A long time. <laughs> uh, it probably goes back to, you know, 1986 when I was in high school. I remember getting my first drum kit and uh, just really being enamored with the instrument. You know, I just, I loved the, just the power behind it and, and just the, the fact that like you could sit, you know, with all these drums around you uh, it just, just, you know, really, really got me hooked. So, uh, through high school, I studied with a couple of drum teachers. And then after that, I went to the Berkeley college of music and I studied commercial arranging. Mm. And so it just, it just sort of expanded from there. And then I've been working as a professional musician since around 1994, uh, wow. taught music in schools and worked with different bands, uh, worked with songwriters, uh, some, world music, uh, jazz, you know, I, tr I tried to just grab everything I could and play with as many people as I could. Wow. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, um, your instrument of kind of origin is the drum. That's what pulled you into music. Definitely. Yeah. That's definitely what pulled me into music. Uh, I mean, before that I had studied saxophone, uh, and I played recorder a little bit in school as, as many people do. Uh, but as soon as I got a drum kit, though, it was, it was over. <laughs> hey, are you ready to gain clarity for your vision and draft actionable steps to achieve the outcomes you desire for your practice? We at the Creative Clinicians Corner are now offering professional consultation services that help creative therapists organize the ideas spinning in their minds into a strategic map to launch and scale their private practices so you can breathe with ease and confidence and take the action you need to achieve the practice of your dreams. Nothing is insurmountable and knowing your path to success will only inspire you to push through all the roadblocks and you don't have to do it alone. Visit us at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com and see the really affordable packages we have for you right now. Yeah, there's something really um, addictive about the, the drum. I don't know what it is, but it, it definitely um, it calls you to it for sure. The way mm -hmm. other instruments, not that other instruments can't do the same thing, but in my experience, there's there's something really powerful about the, the drum. How much do you utilize drumming in your personal work as an art therapist? Excuse me, as a music therapist, <laughs> I called you an art therapist. Oh my goodness. How, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> I'm not offended. <laughs> uh, 
So I, I use drums quite a bit. I, I mean, more specifically, I use rhythm quite a bit. I feel mm. like there's something very organizing about uh, about playing a rhythm. I, th I think it just attracts people, and I think it just helps to connect people with one another. Um, a, a lot of times in my practice, what I try to do is to, you know, put a bunch of, you know, leave a bunch of instruments out and see what happens. And more often than not, somebody will sit down and just start playing something. And then mm -hmm. I try to feed off of that, try to amplify that a little bit for them uh, and help, help that, that musical statement be as accessible to the other clients as possible. And mm -hmm. when that happens, then a bridge is created. And then all of a sudden there's, there's music happening, happening between people. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes from there. And then usually I, I incorporate, you know, I incorporate a lot of rhythm, a lot of drumming. Um, and then I also work with familiar songs. Um, so, you know, if, if the group is really spontaneous, sometimes somebody will just start singing a song that's familiar over the rhythm or oh, somebody wow. starts with a chant, you know, uh, and then I'll usually have a guitar and, and a keyboard out, you know, maybe some xylophones, you know, pitched instruments. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. I can help bring uh, bring tonality to it or help to to center the tonality of the experience. Very cool. Yeah. Do you have, uh, would that be your, your kind of favorite approach to just put out the array of instruments and allow people to self-select what calls to them? I, I think it is. I think it is my favorite way of working. You know, uh, I mean, of course, you know, we have to be open to, uh, what it is the clients are seeking. Sure. So you can't project too much onto, onto what it is that they need. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I will just put out pitched instruments mm -hmm. and see what goes on there. Um, sometimes before I bring instruments out there, I might do a music listening group where we go around the circle and we pick a song to listen to and then, you know, say a little something about how you feel connected to that music. Mm-hmm. And that's a great assessment tool because you can really get a sense of what it is they're listening to, you know, how they find meaning in the music that they listen to and, and how they connect to it. You know, some people listen to music and they start bopping around, they start moving around, you know, some clients might get up and start dancing around. Uh, some may appear more introspective, mm -hmm. you know, so I think it's the, the music listening groups are, are a great, a great uh, assessment tool to that's see. Yeah. yeah, just to see how people relate to music. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Uh, it, it's rare to find somebody that doesn't connect with music. Every once in a while, um, I encounter folks that say they don't listen to music as a coping skill. I'm always surprised by that. Right. Um, <laughs> but well, I, I remember I had a, it was, it was a student actually, it was a drum student, uh, uh, and I, I asked her, I was trying to figure out like what she listened to, but you know, she wanted to take drum lessons, but I, I just was trying to figure out like what, what was it about the drums? And I asked her what she listened to on the radio and she said the news. <laughs> <laughs> so it just threw me off. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how to create a rhythm out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's funny. So you know, obviously you're, you've been doing clinical interventions with clients, but it sounds like this year in particular, um, because of what's been going on with COVID-19, you've also 
expanded into providing music therapy interventions to um, healthcare providers and other, you know, um, care professionals, if you will. Can you speak a little bit about how that came about and how that worked and how it's been helpful? So I think it's been helpful on a number of fronts, you know, for not just for the people who are uh, receiving the, the music therapy interventions, but I also think for our, our clinical staff, the, the staff of LCATs that were involved in, in these projects. Uh, so what ended up happening was that at the beginning of the COVID crisis, uh, in behavioral health, health, we started discharging a lot of patients uh, sure. to make room for the anticipation, you know, of... Uh, possibly a surge in medical and in a need for medical uh, interventions related to COVID. Um, so we started to try to clear out as many units as possible and try to consolidate units as much as possible. Uh, so that left a lot of, of us LCATs, us creative arts therapists with uh, trying to figure out how we can serve the population, you know, within this new context. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our supervisors kind of put their heads together and figured out a way that, uh, so on one front, we put together a morning room, right? Not like as in early in the morning, but to, to mourn. Uh, and so this room, it was, it was a quiet room. It was like a very meditative vibe. Uh, you know, there was, there were art projects laid out, like people could write notes to their, to people who, you know, that maybe they lost during COVID, whether it's a patient or a family member. Um, and on another front, we, uh, in what we call the links, it was a link between two of the buildings that were, uh, had a lot of COVID patients in it. We um, did music and art interventions and we had the whole hallway set up. Uh, a few days a week, I would go down and have instruments laid out uh, and we would do drum circles or, you know, I'd bring a guitar down and we would do songs together. Uh, I also had the help of a, a peer counselor who was, who was a pretty decent keyboard player and he came down and, and played with us and, and lended a lot of support. Uh, and sometimes it was drum circles, you know, sometimes mm. just spontaneous drum circles would happen. Uh, you know, and me meanwhile, they also had a, a snack table and they were serving free lunches to the staff. Uh, on other days, we, we did a karaoke event. <laughs> But we set up the PA That's and we had fun. the mic and, and I, I used my iPhone and we just, we, we got karaoke tracks from YouTube, you know, with the lyrics yeah. scrolling across. And uh, that was, that was another way that, you know, certain people just really got a lot out of that. And we would lay the instruments out too. So people would be, you know, walking around with a tambourine and, you know, just, just kind of, um, you know, enjoying the music. And, and a lot of people came up to us and, you know, just really, we're so thankful, you know, because it was such a release, you know, a lot of them are yeah. working hours, there's all this loss and, and, and death and despair. And, and here they were able to, you know, have a cathartic experience and, and to release some of that, that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And some of the art therapists came down too and did art interventions. Yeah. Related to COVID. I, I'm so thankful to hear this story that, um, Obviously, in we we all know that New York City was really affected and impacted by um, by COVID and the coronavirus, and 
to know that in the facilities, um, they were really working to take care of the people that were taking care of the people. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it makes such a big difference. Um, and I imagine it made a big difference in their lives too. Um, I, not to say that other places around the country haven't been affected similarly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know that they have, but um, it certainly seems like that was really the frontline epicenter of um, everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that changed any of the relationships that the LCATs within the hospital had with the other um, clinicians, the other medical professionals, and, and staff and all. Well, I, I think it did. I, you know, even now, sometimes I, you know, I pass people in the hallway that I saw a few times a week and there's, there's an acknowledgement, you know, there's, there's a, you know, how, how have you been doing? Have you been holding up? You know, I'm glad this is at least, you know, it's not over, but at least it's waning a bit mm -hmm. in New York City. Uh, you know, and it, I think that there's also, you know, between the staff that we work with, uh, a lot of the behavioral health staff was, was also scattered around the hospital. I mean, some of them were, you know, stayed on the units and, and I don't think we're quite sure what we were doing when we were leaving and, you know, for hours at a time. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it definitely helped to foster connection throughout the hospital. Yeah. Between, it, and, and put the LCATs in, in, a, in a positive light. You know, it's like, oh, this is what you guys do. Yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> what I was thinking. Right. Like it was an opportunity for you all to really showcase and highlight the the healing powers of, you know, the creative processes, whether that's music mm -hmm. or art or movement. And um, where, whereas sometimes I think in those institutions, the other people know that you're working there, but they don't exactly know what it is that you do. Or they, they're not really sure. <laughs> yeah, even, even when you're on the same unit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause while you're, while you're running a group, they're off doing paperwork and while they're, you know, meeting with, you know, whatever, it's like you're off doing something else and, you know. Yeah, so a, a beautiful opportunity for them to get to experience it and have a greater understanding when people, other, you know, clients ask about it um, or mm -hmm. patients ask about it uh, to describe it from their own experience. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Did you find that you all needed to, um, incorporate any like telehealth uh, when within the hospital setting um, where you were at? So telehealth, yeah, that's a whole can of worms that uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're all trying to figure out. Uh, there are, there were some people who work in outpatient who are doing telehealth services. Much of it to my knowledge was more like talk therapy and checking in and making sure people were okay. Cause we also have, we have inpatient behavioral health and we also have outpatient behavioral health and we have mm -hmm. a partial hospitalization program. Uh, so I know there have been some, there's a couple of music therapists and I know at least one of them was working with music therapy and telehealth. Uh, I'm not sure where she's at in that process. Uh, but I, I know it's a, it's a very steep learning curve for all of us. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm definitely taking an interest 
in it myself. So, yeah, I was just curious because I spoke with um, I spoke with another art therapist who worked in a hospital in Connecticut. Um, I can't remember the hospital that she was working on. Unfortunately, my my brain is like, I'm just tired at the end of today, but um, it was Kendra. Um, she was one of the first in the Voices from the Summit series. And she was saying even within the hospital itself, she was in, you know, doing a lot of um, telehealth with art therapy, but I was just curious if that was happening with music therapy also um, inside the set, in, inside the hospital itself but it sounds like it was mostly based in the outpatient programs, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, so not to kind of totally change the subject or pivot around, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to be presenting also at the expressive therapy summit this year. And what are you going to be teaching on there? Okay, so my, uh, the presentation I'm doing at the summit is called Facilitating Drum Circles for Counseling, Psychotherapy, and Community. And so I've done this presentation in the past in person. This year, it's obviously going to be a little different because the entire summit is going to be on Zoom. <laughs> yes, so, so it's gonna, strange. It's, it's going to be very, it's going to be a little strange. Uh, but, you know, I've been working with, you know, I've been having to do a lot of preparation this year uh, and how to, how to convey this information through Zoom. And not only how to convey information on how to work as a, drum, as a drum circle facilitator in person, but there's this whole other way of doing it now via Zoom. And mm. it, you know, when you think of drumming, drumming is a very synchronous activity, right? And anything involving music requires you know, synchronicity down to milliseconds. Yeah, and we all know with the internet, there's sometimes there's delay. Yes, uh, you know it takes several set. You know sometimes up to a second for you know what I'm saying to reach somebody via Zoom, and that can create a lot of problems in music, right? Because suddenly you can, it, you know, it can turn into a big mess, right? When no one's playing. Oh, definitely. Together, you know? uh, so it's trying to figure out ways of getting around that. Uh, so it requires a little bit of a different way of of thinking. In, in, in thinking musically uh, so I've been I've been checking in with different people and uh, other you know drum circle facilitators uh, who are sort of pioneering pioneering drum circle facilitation but also who are at the forefront now of, of working on zoom and mm -hmm. teledrum circles so um, uh, so it's so a little bit tricky yeah it's a little bit tricky yeah so, so what I'm going to focus on are techniques in you know, drum circle facilitation when you're in person and also drum circle facilitation techniques when you're doing it over, over the internet. Uh, and what I'm going to include with the, the live drum circle you know, facilitation techniques is how to, how to work with infection control. Mm, oh my gosh. Yeah, because that's, that's a big issue right now. So how do you... Yeah. How do you and your behavioral health unit uh, work with that? You know, what, what kinds of, uh, you know, for example, like building in the ritual of like, okay, everybody before, before you come to group, everybody has to use hand sanitizer. And, mm -hmm. and you make that part of the ritual and you space the, the, the chairs, you know, six feet apart. 
you know, always have sandy wipes on hand, you know, things like that. So, so just a lot of little things that you might not think of until you're, you're really in it. Um, mm-hmm. And also to try to, to try to mitigate the feels, the, uh, the fear of, uh, you know, of causing infection in other people, you know. Right. Do you, do you have some kind of like ritual in terms of how you handle the instruments each time? Um, I know for me, I've still been going on the unit and I have, I've only been using art materials that I can uh, clean with the Clorox wipes or the Mm -hmm. sanitizing wipes. So right. anything that I, I, I can't, um, you know, I can't wipe down, then we're not using. Um, how are you handling that with the, with the big instruments? Yeah. Well, the, the bigger instruments are easier to clean, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you take something like a conga drum, you know, you're cleaning the surface, you're cleaning, you're cleaning the sides, you're cleaning where the, the, the tension rods are. You know the side of the drum, maybe where somebody's leg was braced against. Uh, mm-hmm. One of, one of the things that I do is we don't share instruments. So you get your instrument, that's the one that you get. So mm-hmm. in the way, often in, in music therapy, you know somebody wants to try the xylophone or they want to try this that or the other thing. So it's it it can be done, but you just have to pause and clean. You know, and that can that can you know cause a disruption in the flow of the session. Right. So so it's it's negotiating those things Mm -hmm. you know when is it clinically appropriate to you know to to have that disruption and flow (laughs) you know or to just say no (laughs) what you get is what you get (laughs) in terms of of which instrument you're using yeah i think we have the same issue with art materials too i mean it's a little bit easier to wipe down a marker than it is probably to wipe Mm -hmm. down a whole instrument but it it, it can be disruptive in terms of, well, I want this now and I want that now. And it's right. just easier if everybody has their own as much as possible. But it, it's definitely shifting how we operate in mm-hmm. many ways. What, what do you think is so appealing and healing about participating in drum circles? So I think, I think one thing is everyone has some kind of sense of rhythm within them. Uh, even, even people with, you know, severe brain injuries or, you know, severe cognitive deficits or emotional dysregulation, everyone has the ability to engage in a rhythm. Uh, I think, I think through rhythm, it organizes experience for people especially for people who, you know, if they have an attention deficit or uh, they're experiencing, uh, you know, major symptoms of, of mental illness, uh, I, think, I think the drums help to organize people's reality. And I think it creates a conduit for people to communicate with one another. You know, as, as you know, from working in beha- behavioral health or, or just, you know, with the, the clients you've worked with, uh, you know, often people, because of the situations they're in, experience a lot of isolation. Yeah. And I think the healing comes in the, the connection with other mm-hmm. people. Yeah, I do too, for yeah. sure. The relationship is at the core of everything. 
um, yeah, so there, there's definitely connection that occurs when you're um, aligning your rhythm or attuning to one another mm -hmm. through that process. Yeah, and I, I also think too, like just that people, you know, I think the drums are very accessible to people. It's not like putting out a bunch of violins, you know, like what would that sound like? <laughs> the, the drums are very accessible to people, you know, the, the, it's easy to play a drum. It's hard to master a drum, but it's easy to play it. Um, and I think that it, it also, there's the immediate, you know, uplift in, in self-esteem, you know, the, wow, look at what I'm doing. Wow. I never played this instrument before, but suddenly, you know, um, having this, you know, music experience with, with other mm -hmm. people, isn't this amazing? So there's the whole self-esteem thing and the ability to connect you know, almost immediately with other people. Yeah, I never, I never really thought about it that way, but you, you stated it really beautifully that it's accessible to anyone, anyone can play, but it does take a lot to master it. Um, whereas some of the other instruments, like the string instruments, I, I mean, I wouldn't even want to attempt to try and play the violin. That would right. sound <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but a drum I'd be happy to you know give it a whale I might not it might you know not sound the mm -hmm. best but um, there's definitely something very uh, satisfactory about it and it there's like that immediate feedback too, like the kinesthetic feedback mm -hmm. of the drum yep. uh, that you don't quite get with other instruments yeah I, I also think too, it's, it's a gateway, I think, to other instruments because somebody comes in and they, they, they play the drums for a little while and then all of a sudden they're like, you know what, I want to try the piano, you know, and, and there's sort of music therapy tricks you can do to, to make the piano sound, sound good. You can, you can play, you know, cause it's all rhythm. So if they're playing a rhythm on the piano, then it's just about, you know, okay, what are the, what key are they playing in? You know, I mean, maybe they're not deliberately saying, oh, I'm playing in, in C major right now. But more often than not, you know, somebody's going to play something in some kind of context. That's you know, it's just going to emerge naturally. And as a music therapist, you can you can help to contextualize what it is that they're doing. And then all of a sudden, they go, "Wow, I'm playing the piano. Look at this, and it makes sense." You know, how did that happen? <laughs> That's really cool. Very cool. So. Would you say that the class that you're teaching on facilitating drum circles um, for counseling psychotherapy and the community, would, would this be open to anybody regardless of whether or not they would consider themselves a music therapist? Like, would they be able to attend and um, learn tools that they could then apply in a setting that they were working in? Sure. I think it's for anybody who feels that the people they serve would benefit from a drumming experience. So social workers, counselors, uh, teachers, uh, babysitters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> any, anybody can, can attend. Um, uh, you know, and I, I would recommend too, like, just you know, if you have a drum, that's great. If you have some kind of a, you know, uh, a percussion instrument, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. There's plenty of things around the house that can be used as a as a, a rhythmic instrument. So don't feel stressed. If you show up and you're just like, 
I don't know, you know, I don't have a drum and I don't know what I have household items, but I don't know what to bring. Like, don't worry about it. Just, just show up. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get a lot out of it. That's, that's wonderful. Actually, I think that that could be really beneficial too. just learning um, if you are doing the telehealth stuff, how you can use different household items uh, with your clients to mm -hmm. be creative. Um, I, I would imagine, you know, if you're working with a client, especially right now, you as music therapists typically bring the music to them you bring the instruments to them mm -hmm. so for folks that are working using the telehealth modality that's an opportunity because a lot of the clients aren't going to have uh instruments at home or necessarily they might not necessarily have them anyway yeah yeah and you, you know you could you know you don't have to do a whole session using music or using rhythm this could just be you know you might get a warm-up activity out of this or maybe an opener and a closer mm -hmm. you know nice. or, or maybe you're working with the group and you feel like you know what everybody's kind of all over the place let me bring some music into this experience and that'll help you know that that may help to unify who it is you're working with the groups that you're working with mm -hmm. when you think about um like doing drum circles in the community um what types of settings, with what types of people, and with what purpose would you be doing that in a therapeutic capacity if you were going to bring them out into the community? It, as, and in a therapeutic context, you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think, I think people really are craving community at this time specifically. You know, a lot, a lot of us have been quarantined for you know, several mm -hmm. months, um, and, you know, maybe we're around the same two or three people all the time, or, you know, maybe you have a job that you, you know, you know, that you're on site with, you know, but you're, you're on your job, you're working, you're, you're taking care of business. Uh, you know, I think bringing drumming out into the community, I think, you know, would be really useful in, in just that, it, you know, you're, you're, re, you're reuniting with, with, you know, other people <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I mean there's plenty of places you can do it I mean this parks are a great location uh, you know because it's easy to social distance yeah um, you know and there it's like you know if, if if possible you can say you know everybody bring your own drum we're gonna social distance we're gonna stay you know six feet apart you know bring a mask you know wear a mask uh, you know parks or, or you know I mean it's hard to find you know, depending on where you are in the country, it's hard to find places that are indoors right now that, that mm -hmm. it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to, yeah, depending upon where you are, I know mm -hmm. here where I'm at, the governor just reopened everything this past weekend, which seems a little bit fast. Um, yeah, but, you know, the things are things are starting to move in that direction, which is nice to see, but it's also a little bit, you know, unnerving. Yeah, uh, yeah. But definitely, like the it's fall, beautiful weather, perfect mm -hmm. time to be outside, and a great way to reconnect with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, for sure. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about what? you know, attendees could expect by coming to your session at this 
um, at the upcoming summit? So there's going to be a lot of experiential work uh, throughout this. There's going to be some didactic, you know, here's, here's where I'm coming from. Here's what my influences are. There'll be a chance for people to share their own experiences with drumming, with mm -hmm. drum circles or with, you know, what it, how, however it is that they relate to drumming and rhythm. Uh, and we'll talk, you know, talk and experience a lot uh, using telehealth. So if you're looking for something in your bag of tricks, there, there'll be a lot of bag of tricks that you can walk away with. Uh, and assuming the world opens up again, <laughs> you'll have a lot of great stuff to use when, you, when you're face-to-face -face with people again. Uh, so not only am I doing the presentation on, on November 5th, mm -hmm. you know, facilitating drum circles for counselors, psychotherapy, and community, I'm also doing uh, a presentation in, that night, November 5th, uh, that's going to be entirely experiential. Uh, it's called, yeah, it's called Rhythmic Transformation Through Drumming, Sound, and Movement. Oh, so that, that sounds fun. Yeah. So you could do the whole, both of them and have a whole, you know, immersive experience or, or just pick one of them that you, that you want to attend. So is the evening one going to be a, a CE uh, opportunity, Dan, or is that one going to be more like free flow? I think, you know, I'm not sure. I think it might be a CE. Okay. Yeah. You can double, you can check on the website, the expressive therapies summit website yeah mm -hmm. okay so rhythmic transformation and movement uh rhythmic transformation through drumming sound and movement all right so what's going to happen there a whole lot of rhythm <laughs> a whole lot of sound <laughs> and a whole lot of movement <laughs> Um, but, but I mean, there will be, you know, I mean, I, I know for the, the CE or the, the continuing education mm -hmm. credits that there will be, you know, some discussion in it, but it's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of just experiencing and, and processing. Okay. Awesome. So there'll be lots of opportunities, um, for making music, but also for moving. Right. And the, the one at night is two hours. Exciting. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's a really great opportunity. If somebody wanted to um, learn more about drumming, but maybe they, there was like a competing option um, mm -hmm. for the full day session that you have, right. uh, they could catch the two hour one in the evening. So mm -hmm. sounds awesome. Wow. If people wanted to find out more about you and the work that you do as a music therapist, where could they find you? Do you have a uh, website? So I have a website. Uh, it's called allintimemusictherapy.com. Allintimemusictherapy.com. So yep. And my email address, if you want to contact me, is the same. It's allintimemusictherapy.com at gmail.com. Okay. Right. And so, do you have any social media or anything like that? Uh, just the website. Okay. Yeah. No, that's all right. Yeah. For folks that do, I usually try to add, add all those things to the resources section. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but no, but having uh, the website's great. 
Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you making the time to talk with me today and share a little bit about your music therapy experience and, um, and how, you know, you've developed over the years and, um, and what you're going to be offering this year at the summit. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.